Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, we have a chock-full episode for today. Can't guarantee we're going to get to all of the mailbag because we also have a bunch of news that we have to do. But we're going to give it a shot here. And this is the Western Conference mailbag. Four minutes on the clock. We're going to try and get to all 15 teams within an hour here because we do have to save some time for news. Danny, is there a particular letter that is feeling lucky to you today? Let's start at the top of the alphabet. Um, so be it. Four minutes on the clock for the Dallas Mavericks. We, we got a series of questions largely on the same general idea which is uh what can what should dallas focus on the third season uh do they have a realistic path to a third star so i'll start with the realistic path to a third star from jeffrey keaton because i think that jeffrey keaton 12 i think that what should they focus on the off season you meant yeah and they do have a realistic path to a third really good player star might be stretching it just depends on who's interested in taking their money and the key there is the summer of 2021 because at that point dallas will have they'll have money cleared off their they'll have some stuff off their books and like so for example if they theoretically cleared tim hardaway if he picks up his player option then they could they could basically have max money or close to it and there's no guarantee that that max money will translate into a star after all they had a lot of money in the summer of 2019 and it didn't produce a star but the sales pitch will be a lot easier now that luca has already ascended and Kristaps porzingis is healthy so i think that's their best path forward is to use that space they could theoretically use it ahead of time through a through an imbalance trade but basically earmark that space for for the best player they can get yeah they've had more success in past years pivoting as they did in the summer of 2019 to getting undervalued role players under contract but this is the time as you mentioned because the salary of luca will be going up presumably mark cuban is willing to spend if you're looking at the cap space now our current estimates are 121 million for a cap in the summer of 2021 that to me seems unlikely that it'll be that high they're looking at about 30 million in space right now with that 121 that could easily go down to like call it 25 million instead but they could move on from someone like seth curry or Dwight Wright. powell delon Wright to to get to the space that they would need here are the other teams that i project to have significant space in the summer 2021 that might be possible star destinations shall we say based on what we know about those teams dallas is one of them toronto is another one miami maybe new orleans and that's probably about it any are there any other ones i'm forgetting memphis will have space memphis new orleans and dallas will all be in you would imagine kind of in competition as the next like young destination uh for a, a player who wants to grow with a team but so the, there is going to be plenty of competition for the available 2021 free agents as of now that class includes Giannis, victor oladipo bradley beal drew holiday potentially the clippers guys 
yeah george and leonard lebron james as a player option then that's probably about it for big stars that are really gonna make a a, rudy gobert is another one um of those players clearly the star wings are, are the ones that most appeal i actually think drew holiday could be a very nice fit for them also potentially although presumably they'll want to bring him back you've also got uh in new orleans they want to bring him back you've also got josh richardson coming off a player option in philly would be a very nice fit with them as well if they can't get the star they'll want to boost uh, their three and d chops justice winslow could be someone that that they could look at there as well uh, as an unrestricted free agent well, and so that, and just briefly for uh, Matthias Martin asked the question about like, basically, what should the Mavs offer Tim Hardaway Jr.? And the answer is not much because anything that they give Tim Hardaway beyond the 2020 slash 21 season cuts into that cap space. So it would have to be a massive team-friendly deal for me to accept it as the Mavericks. Yeah, even if you want to argue that Hardaway would be worth extending on, you know, at his present salary, which I disagree with. He had the best year of his career this year, but and he's also going to be 29, so he, he might be on the downhill at that point but uh i think that the opportunity cost is just too high there i mean you're like okay you could re-sign tomorrow it's like is it really gonna kill you if you lose him like yeah he's a good player but you can get other guys like that um especially when you need more of a defender next to luca and so hey you know what you might strike out there's some possibility that you would lose hardaway and then you wouldn't be able to replace him with someone quite as good but the upside of getting someone way better than him is enough that i would not consider sending him nuggets yeah let's go to the nuggets um there are a couple interesting questions here to tackle um i want to start with this one from leandro ma tensio or matensio either way in a playoff series between the rockets and nuggets do you think denver can play both Jokic and Millsap against houston's small lineup yeah i think they can and should yeah i, I think you you consider other options at, at the time but part of what denver's theory of the case is against the against the rockets is zigging while the other team zags and there will be times that Jokic or Millsap end out on end up out on an island but as long as you can bring a little bit of help or you're comfortable with James Harden shooting a step back three I think you'll be okay especially because if if it's Jokic that's out there then you make the other guy drive and then you have Millsap presumably as a help defender and yeah Harden could get him in foul trouble but I think that could work yeah maybe I mean Jokic is going to be out there regardless yeah so Millsap Millsap as a a rim protector behind Jokic I think is important I mean Denver can't really go with the put the center on Russell Westbrook strategy so they probably got to put Jokic on pj tucker and just deal with tucker getting some corner threes but yeah if Jokic is going to get spaced out a little bit Millsap can very easily guard you know one of these other three-point shooters that uh he's not he could even maybe guard russell westbrook a, a little bit if you needed him to but i don't know how you're going to defend without paul Millsap out there for big minutes i mean maybe you could say you go with jeremy grant instead and maybe you get a little more shooting on the floor and grant can move his feet more laterally on the perimeter even if he's not the same help guy that Millsap is but Millsap is still one of their best players to me and so I I think you do have to have them both out there maybe I think my greater concern is actually in the offensive end than the defensive end with Millsap uh if he just doesn't have the shooting touch but most of the replacements other than Michael Porter Jr. don't have the shooting touch either right I'll see this one from Veal uh, Coronan. What what should the Nuggets do with their power forward situation this offseason? Yeah, we talked about that very extensively on uh, that's right, yeah. that, that Nuggets battle plan. So I would recommend going back and listening to that if you want more. But I'll, I'll give you the quick 20-second summary here. Nuggets have probably about... 
30 million or so to work with i would say below the tax going into this offseason porter jr is still going to be there and so you you've basically got 30 million to re-sign Millsap, grant and Plumley, who they also they are going to need something at backup center in theory and so who do you prioritize i think it just depends on what the prices are for all those guys Plumley obviously is the worst player of those guys i think i would have him last uh but because and also you can get a replacement backup center but i mean for Millsap, if he's like okay i want three years at a high number then you probably focus more on grant grant by the way we can take this out of the news he recently said on a podcast that he is planning on opting out but that of course he can certainly change that decision there's much to be decided between now and then including what the salary cap is going to be absolutely so it said that nikola Jokic looks slimmer now. i think tim Connolly joked that he has a six pack how would it impact his game he uses his weight in the paint to push away the opposing centers to be less efficient now so that's interesting Jokic has even alluded to the idea that he kind of likes to be a little bit heavier so he can push people around um i think the number one issue is just that it's not even that he's so much faster it's just that he'll be quicker he'll be in it won't take him as much energy to move and so he can just be more mobile make more efforts overall on the court not necessarily that he's going to be like flying around way faster than he was before that helps a little bit but it's more just that like hey you won't see him hopefully too tired to run back on defense so he just follows the guy in the backcourt you know that kind of stuff that, yeah, that i think is he'll, he'll just do thing. he'll just do it when he's angry instead of when he's tired too um but <laughs> but yeah I, th- I think we could see more of a difference on defense just raising raising the the standard of care there would be would be a big positive and ideally if stamina can go up but i i think overall it'll be a good thing he's so damn skilled it's not like weight is the only reason like the, what's what's keeping him a dominant offensive player uh with the nuggets of our chance against the lakers or clippers i think the lakers just the clippers are way better yeah and the the Clippers Clippers do have yeah having two elite wings just that that will exacerbate some of the the Nuggets defensive issues because I don't think they can defend either of them okay Harris maybe a little bit on Paul George but I mean they don't have anybody for Kawhi all right Warriors here couple of questions uh, about Wiggins including one from uh, Wilder Simon is the sample size big enough to be encouraging for Wiggins in Golden State and you know this has been posited a lot of times he had a nice start over the first couple of games or so but I didn't really see much different in his overall numbers he was taking more catch and shoot threes and just more of his buckets or shots were assisted or potentially assisted so i i saw that i mean maybe you could say his individual defense was a little bit better but i didn't think there was some massive transformation once he got to golden state it seemed like relatively the same guy to me yeah he got he got to the free throw line a little bit more and you could see that get stronger with superior surrounding talent but no i and he he competed more defensively i thought that was a little bit of a difference and i think that wiggins can be better especially if the warriors can figure out not that it's been he's been failed by like five different coaches that's i think part of it has been a lot of it has been him failing uh effort wise and, and execution wise defensively in minnesota so I, I think there's there's hope that he will be that he has improved because i think he has but the idea that he is so much better than he was i, I pretty strongly disagree with like he's he's improved but the improvements aren't this like sea change it's just it's modest but important yeah and it was noted by uh, another questioner that the block and steal rates uh, went up for him and that was true although it was also he had a couple of monster games right at the beginning so well and yeah, i mean it, a, yeah. it's a weird sample because the warriors were so far out of it and playing like you know, the, the the games they were playing were very different than what you'd expect 
Yeah. So, but I mean, he did have like, you know, more steals over like a two game period than he'd ever had in his career or sure. something like that. I mean, he had like a, a five steal game. I think it was against Phoenix. Um, so, I mean, there were some signs, but overall, there wasn't enough for me to like really change my prior. Yeah. I, I think I was asked a previous time, like, how many games would it take of him playing at a new level for you to believe that it's really, I was like 40. You know, yeah. Really something like take. that. Yeah. 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 But I mean, I think the defensive stuff is probably the most encouraging. Offensively, I saw a little different uh kite six seven one seven six one sorry dyslexia i guess uh what declines in draymond green's game would mean the warriors would be better off playing him at center during the regular season i don't think there is a realistic way to do it because that the wear and tear that that would take is i mean draymond is so much smaller than centers and they you can close lineups with it but making him full time like i mean first of all the biggest problem there is also that you have to have enough wings and the warriors certainly don't have them now that they traded iguodala and kevin durant left but it seems impractical for them to get to that point well so what circumstances what decline i mean i think i don't know that there's going to be more decline than there already has been in terms of as an offensive player um i think part of it too is just the emergence of pascal that to play those guys together you have to play one at the four and one at the five it's really the only way to do it maybe they could even have pascal guard some fives if they wanted to reduce the wear and tear on draymond i mean it could get to the point danny and depending on what kind of player he is after this but like it could get to the point where he's just he can't possibly be effective as a power forward offensively uh but you know i think steph and clay will still give them enough shooting that he he can survive there and you don't need as much shooting you know you can get away with two non-shooters you know they had good lineups with green and guys like bogut or looney out there you know even at times when green wasn't shooting the three ball well so uh i think as long as steph and clay are out there you can he can get away with him a power forward in the regular season in particular but uh i, I think that's whatever the decline is it seems to have already happened so i I don't know that there's going to be hopefully for the warriors there's not going to be more uh does eric pascal more marquise chris close games for the warriors uh i think pascal more likely than chris but i would guess more likely that it's neither of them yeah i mean the hope is that they Uh, can get definitely definitely not chris i would say the hope is that they can get people for the at least the mid-level exception and ideally if they use it the iguodala trade exception that can be better than those guys at least in the immediate pascal grows then he could be better but yeah i don't think that's yeah and, think- and, and by the way bob myers in comments today said he's not certain whether they're going to be able to spend as much or not they still don't know where the cap is going to come in but he shared the usual platitudes about how incredibly creative the ownership group is and all, and all that stuff so no indication yay or nay but it seemed like it was fait accompli they're going to spend and i think there's at least an acknowledgement that that may no longer be the case uh dean vasic here talking about the houston rockets why don't the rockets seem to be using hardenstein at all he's pretty much the only legitimate center on their books and when he did start a couple of games this year he played well they're not playing centers at all i mean it it doesn't really necessarily matter how legitimate i mean Clint capella it's it's because they got russell westbrook on the team that's that's the number one reason he he is their center i i think that there could be an avenue for you know if if d'antoni or whoever if they have a future coach um that isn't d'antoni wants to manage it where you play it try to more zealously play a center when westbrook isn't on the floor and try to squeeze out those minutes less relevant in the playoffs because russ is going to be playing a ton but that that could be one way to do it but Harden, they don't need i mean they had clint capella and when he was healthy he was a you know a 
above average starting center in the NBA and they didn't even use him so Hartenstein is even harder yeah and Hartenstein also doesn't have the greatest of lateral quickness I mean a lot of it is defensively too you know he's not a great rim protector he's kind of a a quadruple a player he puts up great numbers in the G League but he's also just not like an amazing finisher so I just I I don't love him defensively either like especially against good competition he's fine but he's not like yeah I mean I don't think there's just this massive potential I I mean if you wanted to say that they should just should have just been using him to like use some use up some minutes okay but that was i mean that's not the approach uh, that they went to where do you see the rockets the next few years asks uh william nilson five always contending starting a rebuild are they are they winning etc um I mean, I think there's going to be a very severe inflection point of where they move into rebuilding with Westbrook and Harden. I think when it becomes clear that that group is no longer a championship contender, I mean, that could in theory happen as early as this year's playoffs, although you can always kind of explain that away by the unique circumstances. But I would think after the 21 offseason, especially because that's shaping up to kind of be one of those seminal offseasons, they either try to get some big star again with some crazy Maury transaction to reload around Westbrook or Harden but then if they can't do that you could see things changing you could see uh you know Maury even leaving at that point and a total rebuild happening um so yeah and to add yeah. a little bit of color Harden this next year will be his age 31 season age 32 season for Russell Westbrook so there might not be a lot left with those guys as truly elite players now they'll they'll each be still be productive as they age but I think the time of the Rockets if they're even title contenders now that time is probably short especially because it is so implausible that they will improve from this point like they you know with both with Fertitta's reluctance to spend but and the coaching uncertainty but also that they don't have players on this roster that you expect to be markedly better in future seasons than they are right now Uh, a couple of questions about the how the Rockets will fare in the restart and what their the small ball lineup is going to look like and I think there's a pretty good argument that Houston is really going to be helped. They were looking a little worn down. Harden in particular, it seemed like he had some nagging injuries, wasn't playing as well. Um, you know, Westbrook had been rounding into form, but I think Harden being at full speed, not having had it time to get fatigued over the whole course of the season. Kelly Eco did a piece indicating that he's uh, he's staying in really good shape, living in Phoenix right now. And so, yeah, and guys like PJ Tucker with a chance to recover, Covington, I, I think if all those guys can avoid getting re-injured or, or getting not re-injured getting injured in the ramp up I think it could really help them uh and and I would it's one of the teams that I would expect to have a decent chance of looking better than they did okay time for the Clippers another question from uh Leandro Matencio would Houston or Dallas cause more problems for the Clippers in a playoff series I don't love the uh the Mavericks ability to defend the Clippers and and I mean they just just that's where Kawhi Leonard in particular wants to get on the floor I don't know that the the Mavericks have players who can kind of stop that and yeah get getting into the mid-range and just using his strength exactly um, and yeah, there's really I don't I don't know who guards him for them yeah, and they also have a lot of guys they can put on Luca to cause Luca problems, and I think that would that could short circuit parts. But I mean, I think Doncic is wonderful. I'm excited to see what he can do in the playoffs. So I I think Houston is better, and Houston also has played some good games against the Clippers this year. Not we don't yeah. know how relevant the sample is going to be, but I, I I think it's I think it's Houston, and that could change over a couple of years. But for this year, yeah, the Rockets. Yeah, I, I think, and, and we saw that in some of the regular season matches. Now the Clippers did completely destroy Houston. Houston in Houston right before the end of the high or, or right before the hiatus. Yeah, happened. that was a TNT game, right? Yeah, but uh 
the Clippers did lose to Houston at, at home at full strength earlier on. Uh, I think that was right before, right after Houston made those moves with uh, bringing in Covington and, and going to small ball. And so there's just more of a theory uh, to me. I just don't see how the Mavs can stop the Clippers and the Clippers just have so many guys to throw at Luka that I, I mean, I think Dallas could still give him a decent series, but the Clippers athleticism advantage is just so much better. Um, whereas Houston with guys like Tucker, they have these strong guys who can do some switching, I, I, maybe a few guys who can at least like cause some difficulty for Kawhi and Paul George, whereas Dallas does not really have any of those. Well, and, and one other thing, apologies if you mentioned this, I didn't hear you mention it. Kristaps Porzingis has had challenges in the past with stronger, smaller guys. The Clippers have a bunch of potential players there, like Marcus Morris, most notably. I, I could imagine him doing a reasonable enough job on, on Porzingis to, you know, not not to shut him down, but to make life hard enough that, again, it makes it makes Dallas's offense sputter a little bit. Uh, NBA is best for. Is this the best closing lineup for the Clippers? Beverly, Shamit, Kawhi, George, and Marcus Morris. In certain situations against certain opponents, sure. I mean, I, I think for me, the this potential swing spot there is, is Shamit. Like you could use Jermichael Green if you wanted a stronger guy who can do a little bit a little bit more switching, be a little bit burlier. Or you could go Zubats if you wanted a center on the floor. I like Shamit offensively, and I but I wonder a little bit about how much he's going to get attacked. And, but also you can just have a, have a weak point on your defense. It doesn't. I don't think that Shamit is so bad that it's he's not like a sore in the way that Trey Young is, where other teams just going to go after it every time because that's the right move. They might do it just because there aren't any other good points of attack so i think it's one of the best potential lineups but especially like if you're if you're trying to make a comeback as weird as is you you've made this point really well when you're trying to make a comeback it really starts on the defensive end and so shamit might be less valuable in those circumstances yeah it's really going to be tough for dockers to figure out i don't think morris gives you enough size and and in particular help you know morris like rim is protection. more about yeah yeah morris is more about just being adequate at in guarding his man but he has always been very limited he's not a good rebounder either uh he's been limited as a help defender so i think uh you know and talk had been that it would be jamichael green maybe at center who does give you a little bit more athleticism but morris is a better player than green i do i do appreciate the sentiment of shamit may maybe being a little underutilized i think a lot of it's just going to depend depend on the matchup um harrell also has played well enough and they i think that's clearly going to be the go-to to begin with and i think that they'll have beverly Kawhi, pg morris and harrell will be their default starting lineup or, or closing lineup i should say and then if that doesn't work then maybe they go away from it but those are the guys who have the most equity um maybe we'll see lou williams in there instead of beverly but i don't recommend that because we talked about this in the lakers game lou williams got pick and rolled to death as the role when he was guarding the role man and then you're not going to put the ball in his hands over Kawhi or pg at the end so why have him out there so i think beverly or shamit i might even consider going shamit over beverly with that group too just to get more shooting on the floor again it depends do you need uh is there like a quick guard that beverly needs to guard uh, on the other team let's jump to the lakers I think this is an interesting one from Bucks and 62. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it. Uh, what role could DeMarcus Cousins have played on this Lakers team if he had not torn his ACL? Uh, taking minutes away from better fits like Dwight Howard and even JaVale McGee. I, 
it would have been fun to see him offensively with a passer of LeBron's caliber. Like to, they're, they're, they could have done some interesting ideas, but Cousins had needs so much defensively, and the Lakers are trying to be very competitive as the, as the Warriors were last year. So I, I think that there was a real downside in terms of fit. I think that's a good point. Well, and I w- might change my tune if he were able to rediscover his three-point shot, but he really did not have that when he came back with the Warriors at True. all. That that might have actually made things easier. I mean, it would have been huge, but you know, he just doesn't have the type of rim protection that JaVale or Howard provide. So I'm not saying that he couldn't have been effective there. Also, he just would have needed the ball a little bit too much, I think, as well. He just has a, a high usage. He tries to post up a lot. He kind of gets in the way. Um, you know, he's a high usage guy who doesn't necessarily skill all that well i think we saw that uh, with the warriors uh, to some degree although we didn't ever see him at anything close to full strength let's do this one from uh cactus underscore carlo should the lakers try to experiment with anthony davis at center in the last eight regular season games or save it for the real playoffs yeah they don't have too much to play for as far as preserving their seating they're within a few games i think three and a half of the box so probably not going to catch up to them and hey it doesn't matter anyway right like it if you're not going to have home court unless they do some of these gimmicks that i'm not particularly in favor of uh i mean i would be down to have like some sort of crowd noise brought in remotely with from like actual fans making noise that gets piped in but other than that i you know these things like oh another timeout for the home team or something that seems really dumb um so it really doesn't matter all they have to do is maintain the number one seed clearly you don't want to get into the two seed because you're gonna have a much tougher matchup than you would probably with the whoever the eighth seed is going to be at least if regular season results hold at all going forward but uh, all that said i think they absolutely should experiment with it they need to find out what they have in kuzma those ad at center lineups probably mean that kuzma is going to play as well uh i i think that the lakers biggest problem is going to be scoring particularly scoring at the end of games if they you know they had these issues with lebron dribbling the air out of the ball and taking bad shots i think he was like four out of 24 on clutch threes this year with a lot of bad shots taken at the end of the clock and so opening things up a little bit more offensively and then hoping that you can maintain the same level of defense or if you're going up against a team where you might need to do more switching you could go with ad at center uh, as well so yeah i think they should absolutely experiment with it. i think they should just try to win the games that are in front of them and the idea of saving it as a tactic for the real playoffs i mean i don't think there's anything strategically they're doing with ad at center that it's like oh we're going to totally take teams by surprise here so i think it's more about them getting comfortable playing that way than preserving some element of surprise for the postseason i firmly agree and also it's getting used to who the other players are like you you brought that up in terms of kuzma but do they want the dynamics of let's say defending the one when you have a traditional center next to ad are different than doing so when ad and lebron are the four and the five respectively so i I think that that's Uh, let's do this one about how let's do this one about which of the surplus six it's a a funny funny name uh the grizz pals spurs kings blazers and Suns. in order of who you'd most and least want to face i mean with aldridge being out which we'll talk about in a second the Suns not being that good the kings not being that good i mean to me it's really who are who do you fear the most among the grizzlies pals and blazers 
Blazers, they have um, because they're if they're presumably close to full strength. I think it's even though they don't have a great person to defend LeBron, they I, I don't know how the I mean it'll be interesting to see how the Lakers would want to defend Damian Lillard. And I think that yeah, the, they don't have a natural matchup for him. No, really. and so I, I, I mean maybe maybe that's KCP. Danny Green's probably too slow to guard point guards at this point. I mean it's true that the the Grizzlies have played the Lakers well in the past, but I think that the Blazers are a fundamentally different team if Nurkic is available and if. Zach Collins is available. So I would go yeah. Blazers, especially also because if the Blazers make it through, that means they are playing well. And that means that the, the stuff is figured out. Then I'd probably- Yeah, that's that's a great point. I, I, I'm glad that you said that because if that, that means that probably that Nurkic and Collins are going pretty well, that gives them the size to match up with the Lakers. And yeah, that's an important point that we're, are you more, you have to assume that whatever team makes it through playing well. So are you more scared of a Grizz, Pels, or Blazers team that's playing well? I think Blazers would probably be my answer yeah, there too. And one small thing I'll say is I would actually have the Kings below the Suns. I would rather face the Kings than the Suns, just because I think the Suns have more variance, and they Agreed. they could they could put it they could put it together a little bit. The Kings, I think we kind of know we kind of know what they are, and the Lakers aren't going to be too scared of that. Okay, let's uh, move on to Memphis here. If this one uh, from Curtis Van Zant, if Jaron Jackson Jr. can put on enough muscle so he can start at the five, do you think Brandon Clark could be the starting power forward next to him? Oof. Yeah, I, I mean, I I said when Clark was drafted that I liked the idea of that combination, mobility and shot blocking at both positions defensively i mean offensively clark is probably the five in that scenario yes. but especially if clark can build out his shot a little bit more then maybe you have the ability where both of those guys are capable of either spotting up at the three-point line or rolling to the basket um you know i, I don't think clark is going to get there i know he shot a high percentage this year but it's not a, a high volume but yes i think that that realistically could be a, a very good combination for the grizzlies and i think that's what they saw in when they drafted Clark that you could fit those two guys together as bigs even if neither of them are necessarily traditional centers defensively yet that you can get enough combined rim protection shooting and mobility from them and you could go with a number of different schemes defensively maybe even do some switching again Jackson in particular is going to have to get more mobile in that regard but uh and really just improve his technique as a switch guy but I think uh no I, I really like those two guys together two more things that I, I I will echo all of what you said uh I think that the rebounding could be a concern but there are only certain teams that will make that a real problem so having another big in the rotation Valanciunas could very well serve this role then when you need it you have somebody else to, to and you could slide either Jaron to the four or just keep Brandon Clark in for some of those minutes and then the other wrinkle that the front office and and Jenkins is going to need to solve is Justice Winslow I mean Winslow to me in so, I, some I, maybe that's more offensively than defensively but he worked I think of him more as a four than anything else in terms of the sh- shooting range and frequency so then that yeah, gets a little and the dicey. hope is that the shooting the shooting of Jackson hopefully can let you get away with guys who aren't quite as good as shooters at the three and the four it, yeah but if it's both Clark, if Clark doesn't extend his range, I mean, he's been a killer from floater range, but if he if he doesn't get a reliable mid-ranger and Justice Winslow is still low volume, and maybe maybe all it is for Winslow is just that he needs to take more, there there could be some configurations there where it gets a little dicey. Defensively, though, it could be interesting, too. What would your finishing five look like if you are Memphis? Let's just read them off here since we're running a little bit short on time. I think it would depend on the matchups, but I'd probably, and it would depend on Justice Winslow's help and whether, or health and, and whether the three-pointer goes in. But John Morant, Dylan Brooks, 
Winslow, Jackson, and then either Clark or Valanchunas, depending on the size of the other team. Same. Uh, from from Daniel Ravid, would would you come close to favoring any not current non-playoff teams, so any of the teams competing for the nine, over Memphis, if Memphis is in the eighth spot and thus only has to win one of the two play-in games? Oof. No, I don't think so. I mean, that's I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it, it's that's pretty tough. I mean, you, you can kind of do the math uh, on what the odds would be, uh, and that's that's a good way to do it, right? Like, so what what percent chance of winning each individual game would be required against Memphis for them to not be favored? You'd probably have to be in like about the seventy percent, right? Yeah, that's that's almost exactly right. Yeah, L- a little bit more than seventy percent. Yeah, in each individual game for them to be favored. And that's a big, especially without home court, that's a that's a huge advantage. Yeah, it is. I mean, and similarly, similar records. I mean, that's like, you know, a 500 team playing against, like Milwaukee playing against like a 500 team in the regular season or something would probably be expected to win like 70% of their game. Right. So, uh, yeah, it's a big ask. I mean, it wouldn't be impossible, but to be favored, it would take a lot. Now, if, you know, there's an injury or Morant doesn't play or so, you know, th- then it could get be different. Um, Minnesota. From. What is your. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead sorry. Uh, from, what is your take on the no D or light on defense roster for the T-Wolves? It is a totally reasonable use of resources when you consider the limited resources they have. I mean, they... the pit- well, well, so does that mean you liked the Russell trade for them? No, no. And Because that's really what shifted it. I mean, you've already got Carl Anthony Towns, who, yes, he's limited defensively. So you're options there are try to build up enough defense around him to be respectable on both ends or go just all often right so so it seems like they've done the latter strategy and so you think that's that was a good idea i think it's the what i'm what i give garrison rosas a little bit more latitude with is that they, it was so hard for them to change over the roster immediate they were capped out they didn't really have a lot of talent they didn't have player the only player they had on value contract off like that non-rookie scale to me was Covington, who they had got reasonable value for. So I don't... I think given the, the hand he was dealt, it was a reasonable choice, but it was not the one I would have made because I'm lower on D'Angelo Russell. And I don't think, I think that you would, if you're going to go all offense, you would want somebody who's better offensively than D'Angelo Russell, as good as he is. Yeah, I think that's right too. I The trade for Beasley and Hernan Gomez, that I thought was worthwhile, right? They, they traded this pick that Houston's pick wasn't going to be any good anyway to get these guys. And they just, you know, I think the idea of getting enough shooting around Carl Anthony Towns was big to me uh to just actually see what he can do for the first time in his career when he has enough shooting around him and the price on those guys was low and so obviously you're not going to just pick your strategy in a vacuum it depends on what options are available going with the all offense strategy to get those guys when the price was low that to me makes sense you clearly made your team better by getting those guys even if you're going all, all offense maybe more than you'd want to but the russell trade to me is where it breaks down a little bit with the both now they did get off of Wiggins which was huge right I mean uh, Russell is going to contribute more for them than Wiggins and Wiggins time there was just up um but but I think if you're going to give up that pick and Wiggins could they have maybe done better or should they have held on to him a a little bit longer just tried to see what what it looked like if you got guys like Beasley and Hernan Gomez in and didn't make the trade for Russell I think I probably would have rather gone in that direction it it would have been hard for them to add a point guard that was that could move the needle but again you 
and I are both lower on Russell as being that guy. Yeah. So yeah. Well, well, and it also to me, what is adding Russell going to get you, right? Like, yeah, I think you can make the argument that it's going to make them a better team over the next two or three years. But if you're really trying to build an actual contender around Carl Anthony Towns, I think Russell, as we mentioned, due to all of his limitation, uh, is just not a high enough upside play to fire off really like the one major bullet you had remaining in that draft pick before Towns is going to uh, you know get to the point where he may want to move on then join a team that can contend more. They also have a, have a good pick this year, but it's hard to that that one's hard kind of harder logistically. Uh, we'll do this one from NBA is best four. Uh, is there any way the Timberwolves are a top twenty defense opponent shooting lock? Shooting lock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, so if you work through the if you work through the four factors, just brief, just briefly as a thought exercise for for next season, we can assume that Saunders is still still going to be their coach. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing that I, I realistically they don't have much flexibility to change their personnel. So, I mean, maybe it would be a coaching change, but they're not going to do that either. So, yeah. so uh, it seems exceedingly unlikely. I they guess, so last right. year they didn't they gave up they they didn't give up great shots and teams made a lot of them. They did actually force a, a, a reasonable amount of turnovers. They were eleventh, fourteen point eight percent turnovers forced, and then they were me mediocre on the de- they were middle of the road on the defensive glass. But then they also fouled a ton, and so the two th- the two things they were worse than, which includes the most important one, opponent shooting. Those I don't see getting really better. And then remember, they didn't have like their they didn't have their combination the the towns the towns Russell combination pick and roll combination defensively for really any portion of the year. So like, and they they had Robert Covington for a lot of the year. So yeah, I, I think it would be su- very very surprising to me, but there could be some sort of variance. And I don't know, maybe there's theoretically some coach that could unlock more with Towns, but Russell, that is a, a big challenge defensively, one that you and I know a lot better firsthand now. Uh, Drew Sokol, we're going to move on to the Pelicans here. With the scarcity of true fives, you can spread the floor and protect the rim, and the uncertainty of Zion's defense, how do you think the Pelicans should plan for the five position moving forward? I really hope they kick the tires on Miles Turner, because that would be... There aren't many guys who, who check the two boxes that they're thinking about. There's another question that gets at a lower rent version that can maybe do that, and but there just aren't many guys who... Because you want somebody who could space the floor unless Zion's three-pointer comes back more like what it was in that first game against the Spurs then every other second he's been on an NBA floor in most of what's time in college and the, the the other part of it is just hoping that Zion gets better defensively and he will but he has to get a lot better to potentially be viable as a center defensively and that's the the biggest thing that people get wrong about the Warriors defensive success without a center sized player was that Draymond is very unusual among guys his size in that he was really long and in- intensely smart and so he was a capable rim protector almost all of the diet versions of the Warriors haven't had a player who could do that and I'm not confident that Zion can be that guy no me neither I, I think that's always been overstated see what he looks like uh, coming back here uh, with the more time coming off of that knee injury now um should the Pels extend Drew Holiday this offseason uh, as uh, Cat Daddy Burns I think they want to learn a lot maybe they can learn some of this over the course of these eight games plus theoretically more if they can earn it but the Pelican I, I think you want to use the 2020 slash 21 season to figure out all of these things and so unless you can get Drew this isn't as nearly as extreme as the Tim Hardaway example I brought up before but if you could get him on a deal where even if things don't work out you could trade him then sure you can have that conversation but if it's anything beyond that I think you want to wait and see even if there's a chance that he leaves so the most they could offer him uh, would be uh, after 
of this year would be what four years in the uh starting at 120 percent of his prior salary so that'd be a starting salary of 31 yeah that's a lot of money yeah and, and so you'd be looking at you know probably in the 140 million dollar range over four years now if you could do it for three years you know maybe you'd think about it. but he's gonna be 31 in the summer of 2021 and i i think to me it's too risky to use up all of your bullets there for a guy who's going to be going into his mid-30s when you've got to build this team around Zion. I think that would be repeating some of the mistakes of the past where they used up flexibility too early around Anthony Davis. And I think you need to just wait until the offseason in 2021. If Drew Holiday is looking that good, if you don't have any other options, then maybe you can re-sign him at that point. You still have the ability to pay him a ton of money. Then, you know, if we're talking for, if he's willing to do three years and 90 million, you know, then maybe um, I might think about it more. But especially that fourth year, I mean, that could just totally hamstring the franchise for a guy who's not didn't play at an all-star level this year going into his mid-30s. Just not. I mean, that would be maybe not as bad as the CJ McCollum extension, but pretty close to there. And you're just there's too much uncertainty going forward to lock into that at the point. Yeah, especially because some of those deals, the second you pivot into a negative value contract, then it gets to be a big problem because then you can't you can't really change it. They, it's, they do have plenty of assets, but they're not assets you want to use to offload a player and I don't think Drew Holiday has been so good that his reputation will outstrip his performance for long like that happens with some guys I don't think it's going to happen with Drew oh I'll mention briefly the Clayton Allen thing they, he said thoughts on Baines to New Orleans if favors leagues leaves I like that fit I, I wouldn't pay Baines too much money but yeah sure yeah I mean the problem is he can't stay healthy you know he's probably really a 20 minute a game guy at this point he's probably not going to have quite the same shooting performance that he did this year also it's just getting him out in space and playing next to Zion without a lot of other guys around him you know he, he may not look as good as he does in a tighter defensive system but no I mean that would be a, a great backup center option for him at the typical backup center money for sure let's go to OKC here Nick Korak does Shea Gilgis Alexander have the potential to be a number one or two guy I would say two but not one do you agree with that I do I, I like a lot of what Shea does as a complimentary player he has some he has good instincts he's can be shifty I like his defensive chops for a young guy and he I think he'll get stronger I think he'll get better you know he in those in those small lineups that were doing well he wasn't guarding the other team's best perimeter player but he also wasn't guarding their worst one and I, I thought that was nice and for a team that can go in a lot of different directions I think Shea is a really nice piece to have because then if you and, and he showed to me he showed he's shown through the Clippers time and then also in OKC that he can play on ball he can play off ball but I don't to me to be a number one as a guard in the NBA you have to be dynamic on ball or like yeah, Clay yeah, Thompson what is level. so special what is so like just ridiculously special about him there's a lot of things that are good but I don't think he has just that one thing that just pops about his game the way the absolute best offense superstar too do you, do you agree with that I do yeah and, and, but he's very well-rounded defensively he can pass some he's not an amazing passer his shooting is coming along he can score but he's not like an unbelievable scorer or finisher of the room he's kind of more of a crafty he doesn't put a ton of pressure on the defense to draw double teams as he drives so yeah i think as a number two absolutely i, I like that totally fine i think he's gonna be a fixture there for a long time I mean, having a good number two there's nothing to sneeze at I'll, I'll do this one briefly because we've already discussed it in battle plans from from Janie's. if you were sam presti which route would you take for the next season i would listen on chris paul and probably intend to move him if it doesn't if you can like for not giving up assets but if you can do that and really bottom out a little bit it sounds like the 2021 class is good they can get out of 
some of their money. Maybe you get a taker for Steven Adams and go go in that direction. If, you know, they should be ready to, to stay relevant if Gallo wants to take a short, reasonable deal, but I don't expect that to be the case. So question on Darius Baisley, do you see the potential as a Toby Detmar? Yes. I mean, number one to me, though, is he's going to have to get better as a shooter. He kind of shoots this high arcing moon ball that isn't incredibly accurate. You know, didn't go in a ton for him this year. So he's, he's going to have to at least get that going. Um, you know, I think he can do a few things around the room. He's not hyper athletic, but he's mobile. He, I think he can eventually fill out to a decent power forward size. Um, you know, he's not an incredible athlete. You know, I'm not sure really where where he becomes a plus defensively. Um, you know, I, I think he's average for his size moving his feet i haven't seen a ton that really makes me say wow on that you know the numbers with him on the floor were really bad um but you know he wasn't expected to contribute at this point having not played college basketball last year so i i mean i think he could he was a decent pick there i think he has the potential to be a rotation player i don't necessarily see him as a future starter right now but i wouldn't totally rule it out no i i wouldn't either but there is a lot that has to happen between now and then unfortunately they have three more years on his rookie scale contract for it to potentially happen uh quickly here uh assuming andre robertson still exists do you think he has minutes in okc's playoff rotation i would be extremely surprised at that just because it's been so long of a layoff i don't even know if he can play it he said he says he thinks he might be able to come back but you know we'll see what happens when he really ramps up in a, a training camp but i mean they do have such a limited group there at the three and the four that if he's okay maybe he gets in there but he does also really mess up their spacing too you know but he, you could see him maybe taking basically minutes as the uh i'm sorry yeah basically minutes as the backup four but i i think it's unlikely yeah. just that he's healthy enough to even play a, a smart a smart defender could be a, a real nice element for them to have especially for when chris paul is off the floor but it's so much to ask uh all right we'll move on to phoenix here for snake 76 what should the suns do to finally get over the hump and make the playoffs next season this is interesting because it's if what they should do for the overall future of the franchise versus what should they do if their only goal is to make the playoffs next season those are two different things they are the it seems like some of the more intriguing possibilities for the suns might be fading away with the potential cap drop from the projection because we were talking about the possibility that they could have like 20 plus million in space that is harder to do if it you know it's harder to do a lot of damage if that 20 million let's say the cap is stays at around 109 if that's more like 14 then in some ways you might even just rather stay over then you can use wield some leverage on Sharich, use the full non-taxpayer mle i mean maybe maybe you can actually having that 14 million the room exception allows you to get somebody a little bit better um but so okay let's so there i would say that presumably they're going to start Aiton, Booker, and Rubio in some configuration. And they have depth at the forward spots. That's what the other question this is on. But I think you could add somebody else who who would help there for sure. I think that's that's one reasonable way. And get Yeah, I, I mean to me it's to me it's offered Danilo Gallinari four years and ninety million dollars. That that if your only goal is to make the playoffs next year, yeah. that would probably be my pick. Get right? get the offense good enough and then hope that you figured out defensively enough. And it's it is going to be a stacked like all health, you know, health caveats aside, it's going to be a strong field to get into the West playoffs next year. So that is also tough for Phoenix. But yeah, Gallo's Gallo's probably uh, yeah. the best they can do. I got a question for you. Would you consider letting it be known through back channels that you would make a four year ninety million dollar offer to Gordon Hayward? 
Hayward. <laughs> Ooh, he'd be a good so fit. It's good, good. By the way, he has a player option for 34 next year. If I wasn't going to get hit by the league, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you just... You know, yeah, I, I would I would rather... Let, let I mean, I, I think that would be, you know, Hayward, if he can get back a little bit to what he was, his fit his fit is intriguing there. Um, yeah, sure, sign me up. I mean, that would be very interesting. It would also, that would really help them with their backup guard problem. Exactly. Too, they just get another, another ball handler. Well, yeah, because that was, that was one of the other things and, I was going to bring up for their depth is a reliable backup point guard like that it is such a such a like an old like an old thing that i've been saying but like point guards do more to raise your floor than to raise your ceiling and so if their goal is to make the playoffs you need that floor as high as it could possibly be yeah they'll probably i would imagine take a point guard in the draft that will hopefully end up being the heir apparent to rubio jordan asks with mikhail bridges having a promising start to his career would you rather him or Ubre long term on the wing i like bridges better uh long long term i mean Ubre can be better in specific moments in specific series but i like bridges as a i like him more defensively and i like him more you know kind of in the lower usage shootery type range you know like make reasonable decisions i think that he can he can step into that reasonably well now i think they're both capable parts of the of a rotation but if i were to say who i think is going to be better let's say two and a half three years from now i'm going to go with mikhail bridge so they're not that far apart in age bridges this was his age 23 season and Ubre's age 24 season Ubre is coming off of that knee injury hopefully he'll be able to play i don't think we've heard uh, anything it, about that yet there, bobby marks had a mention in the piece for ESPN on Monday that it's sounds like he might be available but i don't i don't know if that was source reporting or if that was just kind of him thinking about thinking it through yeah given what the initial timeline was supposed to be you know in that normal eight week meniscus injury you would expect that he, he could be back um but yeah that's tough. i mean who do you think i think Ubre was better this last year agreed um and I mean, he averaged 19 points a game and was about league average in terms of efficiency and mikhail bridges was very efficient this year but he just has such a low usage rate he has not been aggressive offensively at all 12.4 percent usage rate maybe that goes up if you know he's not playing with the Ubre or he's but it's not like the suns have like so many offensive options so i, I do think that bridges very defensively particularly as a health defender bridges yes. is one of the better guys at the nail in particular uh you know a little light in the shorts to guard the best guys but so so is Ubre. i think both those guys are a little bit better on smaller players Ubre is a better transition i mean Ubre is clearly a better offense player would you agree with that absolutely yeah so and he provides more scoring just in general not necessarily creation but at least like more play finishing more shot shot creation if not creation for others i guess i'd probably go with bridges both due to his contract situation and the fact that he's a little bit younger and just seems like a little bit more of just a winning type of player but it is very close that's a good question portland uh i just i'll just do this one briefly uh from from west with a bunch of numbers will the blazers get challenged for the title again next year with nurkic and collins back again is a great caveat to this they haven't challenged for the title period um and i don't think they will after that they made the conference finals but that doesn't that is not the same thing they weren't one of the three best teams in the western conference the year they made the western conference final and i think they're gonna i think they'll be back in that range though where they'll be like the third through sixth best team in the conference if they're healthy and it's not a bad place to be but that's not contending for a title on balance as uh, our old friend glenn simonson was the mellow experiment a success or failure for the blazers given the other realistic options it's incredible that it's a success but it is i mean their defense was a lot worse but they needed help at the forward spots in the worst way they ended up getting trevor reza in the baysmore trade around the deadline but no i th- I, th- I don't really you know the forward forward scrap heap is so desolate because every good forward like wing let's say wing went let's say 
wing that, that it because every wing that has like a chance of being a rotation player is usually on a roster somewhere because there are so few yeah i mean when you're comparing him to hazonia and you know, rodney hood is as torn as achilles and gary trent came on a, a little bit but now i think they could have used mellow just a little bit differently but he didn't have even like the highest usage and he gave them some offense on that second unit which was getting its butt kicked so he certainly contributed to their terrible defense this year but yes he was better than the other guys that, that they had so now the only thing you could say and they are he kept them afloat long enough to get invited to this tournament so they're gonna have a shot uh at making the playoffs it, it seems like the only thing you could say is that maybe it was a failure because it would have been better for them to just be out of it and get the draft pick and use that going forward instead of just kind of hanging around the fringes here and, and still being in the playoffs but um no it clearly was a success i think he was he played better than i thought he would play he was in better shape even if we should be very clear that he wasn't wouldn't be a positive on most teams on this team he was better than what they had we got we got two questions kind of related to the blazers offseason i think we can kind of take them together one is uh, do the blazers guarantee a reason and then the other one is kind of like what what will their what what could their offseason look like and I'll, I'll go through the basic idea so either in the early days what we thought the blazers would do could do is they would clear cap space and then use the small amount use the small amount of space i think it was between 10 and 20 million and then the room exception to to improve and what with the combination of the cap likely dropping, not definitely dropping, and some of the other moves that they made around the deadline and Rodney Hood getting hurt, so it looks like he's going to pick up his player option, it becomes more palatable to, instead of paying Ariza $1.8 million to play somewhere else, to pay him $12.8 million and then stay over and use the full MLE. And part of the reason that becomes possible is they have a $7.1 million trade exception from the Bazemore deal that you know that's kind of it, you you're not going to get it it's not another mid-level exception because you have to get somebody who's under contract but that could potentially get somebody for the rotation and i think they could do all those things without going over the tax so that's i, I think that becomes a plausible path especially because i don't know who they would use let's say 10 million on yeah we've talked a lot about them I, again that's uh, uh, the northwest division battle plans uh, podcast um francis mack asked what's your take on gary trent jr you intend to take a deeper look at him but you never got the chance and uh yeah i i with especially with all the covid stuff that i've been doing i haven't had a chance to dig into the film i I think if i do have a chance to dig into film during this period before we restart it'll probably be draft guys try to get ahead on that a little bit um let's move to sacramento uh do the case from 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 connor of the pure do the kings have buddy healed and bogdan bogdanovich on their team in 18 months uh what level of assets should they get in return for either of them as a point of reference buddy healed you know he is under contract now so after this season because this season the matter for this he is making 94 million over four years that is 23.5 per year and notably it descends which was a nice piece of business for vlade they did that with his deal and they also did that with harrison barnes but the big question there is i don't the big deal is i don't think that's a positive value contract for buddy healed i think that he he his shooting is is very much for real but his defensive limitations and not doing enough other things positively makes it hard to get a lot of assets in return for him now he could be one of those players this happens every so often who just is liked more than by other people than us or let's say me in this case because we haven't heard your thoughts on it so i'm gonna say that that one of them is gone almost definitely but he healed because they like bogdanovich more and he will have just resigned but i don't think they will it will have been to get a lot of return so this is 18 months from now so that's basically the start of the 20 after the summer of 2021 are they both yeah that's that's team? for me the way i was thinking of this was the start of the 21 22 season yeah that's a long 
long way from now no i don't think they will both be there i think it's especially considering uh the grousing that healed has had on a number of occasions i would imagine that they will have moved on from one of them either healed will get to start again and they'll have moved on from bogdanovich bogdanovich could still potentially leave in free agency although their moves augur that they will match or, or bring him back but yeah i i think the only way they would both be there is they're just like hey who else who are we trading these guys for we're trying to win they're good players and we can't reallocate for another type of player that we need um these types of trades rarely happen but wouldn't gary harris and buddy healed be more useful on the other's team denver could use more shooting and sacramento could use more defense i think then denver would need a lot more defense uh that would be going more in the minnesota vein for the nuggets and I don't think Heald brings enough offensively. You know, he doesn't bring a lot of shot creation. So then, I mean, you have Jokic and Jamal Murray, so maybe they don't need that much. But I do think that Gary Harris, like a Harris... De'Aaron Fox combination would be intriguing to me. So I, I don't think it. I don't think it helps both teams personally. Also, because I think even with his. Let's hope temporary shooting limitations. I think Gary Harris is a meaningfully better player than Buddy Heald. Oh, yeah. that's in, And they're both kind of overpaid. They both just want to heal, makes more, goes out for longer. I mean, that's kind of the biggest thing to me is, is that he goes out for a lot longer. Like his contract doesn't even kick in until next year. And what does Harris have? Two years left now after this one? Yeah. And it's 19 and 20 million. Heald, Heald is uh, above that in terms of his annual value. So I think that's where it breaks down, especially when you consider that Denver is scraping by every dollar with the tax as we talked about earlier in their section just solely on the floor though if you want to say which would that make both teams better next year i think it could i don't think that harris helps the king's defense that much i think the king's defense actually is like reasonably decent at this point and i do think that the nuggets need more shooting and that heel could make a big difference but they also could just kind of held on to Malik beasley who i think is a similar player if they really felt like they needed that um and, and i do think harris is a huge part of the nuggets it's being respectable defensively i think if they lose him they could really go down and also when you're talking too of bringing michael porter jr into a larger role then you really need harris's defense on the perimeter i think the you'd really be going all offense with Jokic, porter murray healed as four of your five starters that's uh that's a little flammable let's go to the spurs and san antonio and start this with let's uh let's actually we could begin here talking about the news that lamarcus aldridge has had season-ending shoulder surgery 45 days ago yeah i mean i guess i was gonna say it's the time for a uh, time for secret surgeries but apparently the time for se- secret surgeries was in april uh it was the the terminology that's been used is that it was an arthroscopic subacromal acromial decompression and rotator cuff debridement on his right shoulder and it occurred april 24th he injured it february 21st and then um and then he returned basically the day before the the the, the, the for the spurs last game but he's expected to be back for the 2020-21 season yeah i mean i was gonna say that now is the time for secret surgeries but apparently the time for secret surgeries was in april when this actually occurred which is (laughs) so totally crazy uh the is being described as an arthroscopic subacromial decompression and rotator cuff debridement on aldridge's right shoulder he will miss the remainder of this season but is expected to be fully cleared before training camp for next season the 2020-21 season uh the injury occurred on february 21st he missed six games rehabbing and then returned in their last game before the COVID hiatus 
So San Antonio now significantly less interesting in the seeding games and presumably not going to be a part of the playoffs, which is disappointing, but also, you know, doesn't move the needle that much, I guess. Yeah, they're going to have a tough struggle to begin with. Uh, and uh, this is kind of interesting just in the sense that they moved his guarantee date up to January. It wasn't going to be until after this. So maybe that could have affected their decision, but it seemed like they just wanted to guarantee him and be nice or something. But not having him on the books maybe could have been helpful for the rebuild or maybe he's a a trade candidate now i think with the spurs playoff hopes pretty much dead without him there'll be more of a thought that they're going to move into rebuilding him coming off a surgery so i I mean you have to imagine that he's going to be on the trade block this offseason even though the spurs never seem to train anybody they also never seem to not make the playoffs and so this this is going to be unprecedented times now for the spurs um question here how should the spurs proceed with walker murray and white when it's clear that demar Derozan is staying for another year uh seems pretty likely Derozan will opt into his 28 million for next year with all the uncertainty and the lack of a clear suitor certainly could be a potential trade candidate as well uh so i don't think it's clear that he's necessarily going to be staying uh i mean i think you just this is one of those things where it's like uh, when you're talking about young players and white's not that young too i think he's 26 already but uh when you're talking about young players i think a lot of fan bases make this mistake especially for guys who haven't proven to be elite yet which none of these guys have where it's like hey all these guys are going to develop into quality starters and we have too many of them we have to sort this out whereas in reality if you keep all three of these guys and just try to play them let them develop you know one to two of them are really going to work out probably into like quality starter level of players and your problem just gets solved for you wholeheartedly agree and they and they have time here i mean so what uh Dejounte is already on his extension then Derek white he'll be extension eligible this offseason but presumably you wait you wait on that unless he agrees to something very friendly team friendly so then and then lonnie walker he's not he's not a free agent until 2022 so i think you just sort it out yeah uh, what would you consider to be really team friendly for Derek white 11 million a year that's i, I was thinking 10 and a half so yeah we're, we're pretty much on the same page yeah i I think at that level where you know because i think at a minimum he's a solid third guard going forward absolutely so even if you get stuck with him at about his present level that's not a crazy overpay and you might get some upside if he moves into being a starter and i don't um, think he'd i don't yeah. think he'd accept that so but if you hold the line there then you're fine yeah i mean you never know what people are going to accept man we're living in new times that's true the, now i mean that's life-changing money this what was he the 30th pick 29th pick 29th pick i think it was 29 so he hasn't made any money yet he well and really he had a very circuitous route to the nba so he that might give him a greater yeah. appreciation too um what about for Jakob pearl what is the cutoff point there i think for me yeah would you pay the mid-level exception four years for him i mean that's the largest offer he's likely to get elsewhere i think i'd match that he's yeah, a solid solid enough center i think you give him 20 you know give him 25 minutes w- what else are they going to do with that nine million a year yeah i mean they don't have any other bigs on the roster really aldridge i assume is going to be gone so yeah i think if you can get him at that amount you know if you're getting into 15 million a year that's probably too yeah so the um, line yeah the line yeah. is somewhere above the mid-level and below 15 million dollars uh, but then there's the second part of that question. And, and I was, don't know that he's going to get that much. I'm not predicting he's going to get no, that much. No, it, it's that, this is the absolute most I would pay. And so uh, Tyreef brought up the idea that, that Jacoperto could sign a qualifying offer. But the reason why I don't think he will, as long as there's something plausible out there, is that the most common reason for a player to take a qualifying offer is if there's a belief that the next year will be markedly better. And for Jacoperto, he's just kind of a wrong place, wrong time guy as a center. 
and there will be a lot of other players on the market. I don't know that unless he has an awesome year, which is possible, but I wouldn't. He doesn't like strike me as the type of player who's going to take a massive leap in year five. That he will. Uh, that he will like some somehow all of a sudden he becomes a fifteen twenty million dollar a year player. It's possible, but that's that's why you take a qualifying offer instead of a more modest than you'd like offer. Yeah, I mean, so you're going to be a top ten center in the league. So um, Utah, how would the Jazz fare in a potential playoff matchup with the Thunder? without by boyan boyan yeah i know so i started to say bond and i realized um boyan put down well they'll also be without bogdan um <laughs> it, it hurt it hurts the jazz a lot and i like the point uh, I, I i wish i remember which writer it was talked about the idea that ingles ingles moving into the starting lineup i think that that will be okay he's not as dynamic not as good as bogdanovich but they're they just get so much less versatile and their bench gets a lot it uh, gets into a lot of problems and if anybody's injured or not playing well i so how do they match up against the thunder specifically i i think i think that series is is very competitive i could see it i could see it going either direction one wrinkle there which is so different from from a theoretical jazz thunder series in another year is replacing russell westbrook with chris paul because with russell westbrook having a rim protecting center albeit it's different in in when now that he's on houston you know you could slow a lot of things down and the jazz usually get back in defense but with chris paul in some ways rudy gobert depending on how he moves himself can be less valuable because chris paul's not trying to get to the basket and i wonder how that would impact over the long run of a series when okc just he gobert doesn't take away what okc's trying to do because they don't really have this roster of drivers yeah I, I mean rudy gobert and the jazz have a ton of experience playing against chris paul the last two years in the playoffs and Paul, in some ways, is an antidote to Gobert's branded defense uh, with his ability to work in the mid-range rather than trying to attack the rim all the time. The Jazz lack of depth isn't as much of an issue when the Thunder also have a, a lack of depth. I think the Jazz have the coaching advantage. I would still favor the Jazz in that series, uh, I think. I would um, too, but it would be a, it would be a modest favorite. It wouldn't be a heavy one. Yeah, I think like this Jazz team kind of beat the Thunder two years ago when, in theory, the Thunder had more talent, um, but that's also the Thunder were about as good this year as the, as they were two years ago so maybe that's not fair to say i think that it's not a too difficult of a matchup for the thunder because they can their lack of guys to match up on the wing isn't a problem i think the thunder just not having anyone who can shoot is a, a huge issue uh, off their bench and that the jazz can really take advantage uh, of that i think that george niang who's gonna have a much larger role with bogdanovich out i think he can play just fine against the thunder i don't think they really stress him out the way like a huge Houston would. So I think I would still favor the Jazz in that series. Yeah. Uh, BD Harrison 53, how much does Bojan's surgery hurt the Jazz's chance of making a playoff run? I think of a run as being winning at least one, maybe two rounds, and I don't think they were going to win two rounds anyway. And this lowers it, but it lowers it from close to zero to closer to zero. And uh, I mean, I think the only the only team I think I would favor them against now would be OKC. OKC, and then yeah, and they can't face the eight seed, whoever that is. So yeah, I think yeah. that's that's a challenge. But they weren't, you know, especially if they were going to be in the four or five, and they, I mean, presumably they're facing either the Lakers or the Clippers in the second round, and I don't think they were going to get past those teams at full strength. Yeah, I, a Denver. For Utah series, I might have favored Utah in that series before this. And I want to see how they're playing. I probably would have to favor Denver. But I do think that Utah has uh, done a good job of... I think Utah would, again, have the coaching advantage there. Gobert is a pretty good matchup for Jokic. So I, I, that's one I think could go either way. Will they be comfortable at, uh, playing at uh, 40 feet above sea level in Orlando, though? Yeah. That's that's the big question. Oh, just that quickly, Denver we got a question Utah. about, like, what should their closing lineup be and should they be playing Mitchell Moore at point guard? Paralleling what we talked about 
about with the Warriors with Draymond at the five, they would need to have enough wings that they'd feel comfortable with it. I don't think Utah, I mean, they, I don't think they have enough players there. And I think Conley's better than the wing they'd replace him with. So in certain circumstances, sure. But overall, I don't think it's better for them. Okay, we got some uh, news to get to here now. Quite a bit has built up, in fact. Start with just some of the team-specific stuff. Uh, Anthony Puccio reporting multiple sources tell me that Kevin Durant will not return for the remainder of the 2019-20 season. That seemed like it was always going to be the case. Doesn't seem like Kyrie's going to be back either. So Nets are going to be about as toothless in the playoffs as we were expecting, it would seem. Not a huge change there from uh, what would have been expected. But this is a chance for Karis LeVert to build up his his, uh, value, at least. Yeah, it is. And uh, it'll be a strange little little situation for the Nets. There's also the the strange possibility that if they end up missing the playoffs, I believe that based on the wording of everything, they would keep their draft pick. They would retain their draft pick. That would, it would push the obligation to a future year. There are pluses and minuses each way on that. Uh, let's move to Charlotte. At the end of uh, their, are in their press conference on Monday, Mitch Kupchak said that Malik Monk has been reinstated. For those who don't remember, he was suspended in February for violating the NBA's anti-drug policy. So presumably then he will be, he will be able to be back in action either with the Hornets or with somebody else. Monk has one more year because they picked up his fourth year option. He will next year make 5.3 million and then would be a restricted free agent if he gets qualifying off. Yeah, what a weird saga that whole thing was. In Detroit, Malik Rose, who had been an assistant GM under Ed Stefanski, he has left to go work at the NBA. The Pistons GM search is going to be extensive. A lot of names involved. We don't need to go through all of them. It's unclear whether that person will be above or below Stefanski in the hierarchy. But Rose, I think we've seen this with some other, like Brandon Williams, for example, where guys will go work at the NBA kind of as a as a stepping stone for grooming into a, a next job in the league. Uh, Tillman Fertitta had a interesting interview with the Houston Chronicle. Some of the things that were discussed, uh, the Hong Kong tweet, his response about that was, I'll just read it, his quote, since uh, there's been a, a lot of controversy uh, about that and Fertitta's response and his relationship with Mori. Good to hear it from exactly what Fertitta had to say. There's the thing with Trump where he was kind of joking about Daryl Mori being a, a good general manager and how uh despite all the trouble that he had gotten him into Fertitta said the tweet was seven words there was nothing wrong with the tweet that's why one hour later I told ESPN when I was asked are you going to get rid of Daryl Morey I was like are you crazy why would I get rid of Daryl for that tweet I think Daryl's one of the best general managers in the league plus we truly enjoy working with each other to this day we plan on working with each other and I expect Daryl to be here for years to come uh he Fertitta was also asked on the CNBC interview why he distinguished between speaking out on domestic and international issues and his response was what I meant was i thought i made it clear that in america we can say whatever we want to say we don't have to worry about our government doing anything against us when we speak up but we do have to worry if we're somewhere else about an authoritarian government penalizing us and it could be penalizing you in many ways i was 100 saying american citizens can speak out on our soil and nothing will happen to us but not everyone has the same freedoms we have some including me when i read it uh, interpreted his prior words as it's fine to speak out about domestic issues but not foreign issues uh, like hong kong that's how i read it too uh yeah 
Yes. So he's attempting to clarify that. And then finally, he was asked whether the issues with the hospitality industry during the pandemic will affect decision making on the basketball side. And he says, I don't understand why people would think that. The Rockets operate totally separately. There's nothing more important than winning a championship. If I could buy a championship, I would write out a check and do it. Now, I don't think you can afford that, Tillman. Uh, but uh, I'm never going to let a player or a tax keep me from winning a championship. You know, you know what's fun? When somebody gives an extended interview and you think that they were bluffing on other things and then you get an answer on another part that makes you th- that makes you question everything again it's like oh really there's you you if you could buy a championship you'll write out a check and do it like he he has had the ability to make his well team if it bet- were a small enough check yeah it, like he has had the ability <laughs> to spend money to improve the quality of his team numerous times since purchasing them and has consistently avoided that in the in the immediate now they've taken on long-term money through things like the the chris paul russell westbrook trade very conspicuously not raising their going over the tax in season i I tore them down for that during the 1819 season can read that at the athletic if you want to go back um based on the stuff that he was saying then so yeah i mean it's it's good that tillman is saying that fertita is saying the right things now but i am very dubious because the track record especially on the spending thing is like we you not only is talk cheap but his own actions reflect it reflected so it's not even like when somebody says i'm going to do x it's like i'm going to do x even though i haven't done it in the, in the past when my team was better and like could have was a heartbeat away from making the nba finals and we kind of knew it was going to be that way going into the season in new york reporting that tom thibodeau is expected to be the front runner for that job hollinger and i talked about that a lot on yesterday's pod so you can listen to that one i highly encourage it portland was the lone team to vote against the 22 team format they apparently preferred a 20 team format and cj mccollum said that it was in part due to what the players had expressed of course they preferred a format that actually included them being in it didn't seem like it had to do anything with the safety of having 22 teams instead of 20 in fact Woj tweeting that the no vote was because they believed that there were more competitive and innovative formats on the table and perhaps that's because portland really only has a chance of getting to the ninth seed here and then would have to win two games just to get into the eighth seed i'm sure they would have much preferred like the world cup style group stage which would have given them a much better chance so it seems like this is mostly just we wanted the the procedure that was most going to benefit us although i i wouldn't have minded something more innovative uh given where portland is it's kind of difficult to really accept uh, much of that uh, from them so let's uh let's hit all this stuff here about what the tournament is going to look like what the rest of the season is going to look like here got a bunch a bunch of dates uh, have come out um why don't i just rattle some of these off uh, and then you can react to them yeah and we can talk about some of the financial stuff too which came out in a good piece by uh bontemps and windhorse so the lottery is going to be based solely on games played through march 11th and i talked a little bit about that too really good idea Yes. Yes, uh, maybe maybe a good idea under normal circumstances as well. Some might say, mm-hmm. uh, but so and if a team falls out of the playoffs, doesn't make it, who uh, is trying to be in this uh, these seeding games, those games aren't going to count, yay or nay, for things unless they actually make the playoffs and then they're in the playoffs. And e- even Memphis, which is in playoff position right now, their record as of March 11th would determine their lottery odds. The but for teams that do make the playoffs, the rest of the order will be. Determined 
determined by including the record of the seeding games. And the biggest thing that that affects is that OKC pick, Danny. Right. And I wrote about this at The Athletic on Friday, that they have a pick that going back from the Jeremy Grant trade, that if, if it is in the top 20, Oklahoma City keeps it and then instead sends two second round picks in the future to Philadelphia. If it is 21 to 30, then Philadelphia gets it. So there, there's even theoretically a possibility that Oklahoma City could could get to 20 or better and not change their seating at all in the Western Conference because Philly, incidentally, and Indiana are right below them. So if those teams win more than OKC, they could jump them without a seating shift, though we could see a seating shift as well. I don't think that's enough of a an incentive to change the behavior of the players or coaching staff, but it is a one of those ripple effects that could matter. So I think you, you kind of see either way, there could be a weird circumstance where maybe they you know pull their guys for the last game of the seating game on the cover of getting ready for the postseason and then it just so happens that losing that game could make it more likely to keep their pick or something like that so keep an eye on that but we'll we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it uh something else to mention on the kind of transactional side of it is uh, bobby marks had a nice piece at espn today about what what's looking like about a week-long trans- transaction window a lot of that is about getting teams up to 15 players and there will be basically you can get extra slots for players who are out for the year there's the, this is an opening for san antonio but there are players that are and are not eligible under this setting yeah so basically you have to have played in the nba this year been under a training camp contract or been in the g league to come back hollinger and i talked about this yesterday too the pros and cons of this of say if your con your overseas contract expired on july 1st for last season that you're not going to be eligible to be signed in the nba but say someone like demarcus cousins would be available he was on a roster this year and so there will be players to bring in but uh, it's not unlikely there's gonna be any difference makers so we'll put it that way um they're also going to open up a transaction window in late june for all 30 teams so even teams that had guys on two ways that they wanted to convert who are not going to be in the seeding tournament those teams uh will still have the ability to just make some housekeeping transactions like that like you know for example the heat did before last year's playoffs of signing duncan robinson off a two-way signing kendrick nunn out of the g league teams will have a chance to do that and to use their cap space in the same fashion that they normally would have been able to so that's good and it also doesn't give an unfair advantage to the teams that are actually going to be playing over the teams that that aren't going to be playing yeah i I really support that and there will be some some notable decisions on the margins like um fred katz was talking about this today about i think it's garrison matthews on the wizards he would have to be converted off of his two-way contract to be eligible for the wizards in the seeding games and and the playoffs theoretically but or maybe yeah just to be in the bubble I guess that's 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 the line there. But doing that means that instead of getting a two-way qualifying offer, he has to get the full NBA qualifying offer, and that's a lot worse, and the Wizards aren't going to do much anyway. So I, I'm interested in how teams make those decisions. Are they blatantly, are they brazenly short-term focused? Like, hey, this is this makes us the best for the for these seeding games and for the bubble, or do they look at it and say, hey, this isn't the best move for us beyond the this like two weeks? Here are some other dates. We know that the draft is is going to be on October 15th. Per Woj, last game of the NBA Finals is going to be October 12th if it does go seven games. We are starting play on July 31st, but the play in tourney is going to be August 16th and 17th. So it looks like there will be a back to back on that if the ninth seed wins the first game. And in fact, if there is a playoff tourney at all, because remember, you got to be within four games for with the ninth seed of the eighth seed to even make there be a play in tourney or play in games. 
Uh, the first round starts on August 18th. Presumably, whatever team is played in the playing games would at least not play on the first day of the playoffs. Uh, the second round starts September 1st. Conference finals, September 15th. NBA finals, September 30th. So basically, every two weeks for every round is not going to be that different from what we usually get in the playoffs. And there's the ability to maybe move these up a little bit if all, all the round ends early for some teams. So that, that's good. Um, to to get those dates out there let's see what else do we have here well there's the the uncertainty there was a tentative thing about how the next season could start on on december 1st but i believe michelle michelle roberts told the players that's not set yet yeah that seemed like just the league's initial opening position of december 1st it did one of the few things where they haven't really been in lockstep uh, on this i mean all signs point to it just being christmas that's my prediction that's everyone's prediction that that's when it's going to start to have that be opening day and that's a, a big certainly it won't be later than christmas i think we can put it that unless there are just other calamities Super, or maybe superseding intervening events yeah um uh, or maybe if there's just the thought that like hey we can't have fans on christmas but we could have them in january or something then maybe see it gets one a little bit um okay a few more notes here from Windhorse and Bontemps. There's gonna be some exhibition games, but maybe just more scrimmages uh, among teams that's still being planned. This approach of adding 88 games back into the schedule out of the 259 that remained, that was 645 million in player salary. Adding these games back in will apparently reduce the collective salary loss by 300 million. So I assume some of that is based on the national TV contract because they're still gonna have national TV games during these seeding games as well so that's why it's it's the losses are less than the proportion of games that are gonna be lost would be my guess for that uh there's gonna be up to seven games per day over these three weeks in the august regular season although it looks like actually that'll be closer to two weeks uh with the play-in starting on august 16th there might even be weekday afternoon playoff games they're gonna be playing three different facilities to stage games but i think they're gonna want to avoid too much overlap there so maybe that's why you're gonna see weekday afternoon playoff games uh we're gonna be busy danny <laughs> once this shit starts we will be uh there are going to be minimal back-to-backs some possibility that there could be back-to-backs in the playoffs even in isolated circumstances but that i think is if things really drag out to the maximum possible extent and they can't create a little bit more space um the testing is i i'm I'm giving the league pretty high marks on this so far we don't know all the details of the procedures but they're trying kind of trickling out uh they're not going to be doing the deep nasal cavity swab it's going to be like a a nasal swab from the bottom of the nose or saliva testing according to shams there's gonna be additional layers of protection social distancing temperature checks masks hand sanitizing sanitizing of surfaces uh, and objects and stuff uh, as well so uh, that's all good and it really although there was some discussion to the contrary of this it does look like this really is going to be a pretty hard bubble if you leave the bubble you have to quarantine for 10 days and you have to have two negative test shams reported today so that that's pretty severe and it's it, again seems like players families will not be coming in and they'll be subject to these restrictions uh, of course until much later in the process i think probably until the conference finals is what was uh, bandied about there so i think that really eliminates a lot of my concerns and for those who are saying hey the league just like shouldn't be coming back at all uh, a point was made to me today by an executive which i uh, appreciated that 
just compared to with the country reopen in most places compared to what players are doing in their daily life being inside this bubble is probably actually safer overall um and i think i agree with that actually i mean if you're you when you consider that with reopening if players are finding places to play it was just something that, that i i've heard about with like random people at gyms or, or going to going to work out at gyms or just having normal social interactions or going to protests like all of those things there's a much larger risk from that than being inside this bubble and yeah you're playing games and that is a higher risk activity but you're also doing it with people who are also constantly being tested and with everyone being tested every day if there is an outbreak hopefully it's not going to spread too far before it gets caught and particularly spread outside of teams and i think you know, if you look at, for example, what happened with Utah, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell both test positive. Nobody else in their traveling party of 58 tests positive. And so that's not to say that you can't have more of a super spreading event than that. But that that was with no precautions being taken at all that you had that spread. And Gobert was at least somewhat symptomatic. So he was probably at least four or five days in after being infected. So if you use that as maybe not a worst case scenario, but maybe an average scenario of how much spread you would see after someone initially got infected I, I agree with that i think that the players probably will be safer being in this bubble than they would be just living their normal lives not being on an nba team out in society given the sad level of transmission that we still have at this point yeah i think that's totally fair okay we can wrap it up here thanks so much for listening nice long episode it's uh more fun to do these our schedule by the way since we know we're back we're gonna stay on two days a week until probably maybe like a week or so before things are due to resume maybe two weeks we'll see just like if there's enough news if they're like preseason games to analyze that kind of stuff we feel like it's really ramping up i mean i'm gonna be at home i'm not going anywhere so uh maybe we'll start that a little bit earlier but i mean it's looking like this is gonna be our only break until like you know end of august of 21 so i'm gonna try to take that a, a little bit here and uh anything you want to talk about before we go dang yeah i had a couple things so if you haven't listened to the uh, real gym radio that i did last week with curtis harris who was on the nba and the history of activism which i thought was a really good conversation also had a piece on Friday, which I mentioned earlier in the pod, on the playoff seating races that I find most interesting and kind of went through my, my, own, my own process on that. Included some charts, which was fun to generate for one of the first times I've done that for The Athletic. Also have um, the start of my solo off-season preview series. So like the ones I do th- each team, all 30 teams, thousand plus words. Those will start at The Athletic. It looks like it will be between now and the next time you and I record. So probably Wednesday or Thursday, starting with the Golden State Warriors, the team with the worst record in the NBA. And uh, that so those will be starting to roll. Mm, t- we'll, we'll see what the frequency is. It depends on how much I can write them. But I'm going to try to hammer those really hard during this time when we have no basketball because then life gets insane. All right. We'll talk to you all later this week. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.